Yeah. Amen. Wow. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Welcome to Edge Church this morning. Great to see you. And uh, so excited to be at church with you guys this morning. I was sitting out on the back patio the other evening watching the bugs. Now that's exciting, isn't it? And it reminded me of a time many years ago when I was a little boy. I had an evil cat by the name of Moetta. Moetta was the, she was like this force of terror in our neighborhood. She would hunt mice, lizards, squirrels birds of all species, and she would hunt them and she would bring them to the front door so we could praise her for all of her accolades. It's pretty amazing. Moetta. She was a warrior. In the summertime, we would turn on the back lights on the back patio and watch Moetta because Moetta loved to chase the shadows of all of the bugs. And in Texas, where I'm from, we have some great bugs called June bugs. Anybody know what a June bug is? Amen. We got lightning bugs. They're not lightning bugs. They're lightning bugs. And Moetta would chase the shadows of the bugs, and it was great entertainment. She would paw. She would scratch. She would swat. She would bite, but to no avail. She would get nothing because it was just a shadow. I don't know if you've ever chased a shadow before. Most people run from shadows. Some people swing at a shadow and the shadow's not there like Moetta. And today our passage from the book of Colossians is all about grasping for shadows. I've called the text today chasing, chasing or don't chase the shadows. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians challenges his hearers to not be people who chase spiritual shadows. Uh, if we're not careful, we can go after many substitutes rather than the real deal. And in Colossians 2.17, the Apostle Paul writing to this young church, the church at a city by the name of Colossae, challenges the people to not be people who chase Shadows. Don't chase your tail. Don't chase things that do not exist. Chase the real thing. And by the way, the real thing is Jesus. This young church had some false teachers that began to come in and teach some strange doctrines. They began to take what was so beautiful and so spiritual and so magnificent, the work of God there at the church of Colossae, and they began to say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not it's not about Jesus only. I mean, we'll take Jesus, but we got to add a little to Jesus. And, and they begin to, to bring in some false teachings and some other stuff that begin to take people's attention away from Jesus. How many of you know it's easy to get your attention off of Jesus? Is that true? It really is. You don't have to work to get your attention off Jesus. The last thing you need is somebody challenging you and pushing you to get your attention off Jesus because you got enough trouble trying to keep your attention on Jesus. And we see at least three things that were going on here in the early church. And you know what's so amazing? A couple thousand years later, the same distractions are prevalent in our culture and in our society. People, humanity have changed very little over the course of human history. And I want us to look at these things. Now, um, the people at Colossae faced something called religious syncretism, which is 
like where you get like a cocktail of religions, right? Like we love Judaism. We love Christianity. We love the new age. We love what grandma said. We're going to take all those things and put them in a big punch bowl and stir them up and drink. And so there was all these different thoughts that are going on in the ancient world. There was the teachings of Gnosticism. There was the teachings of Judaism. There were the teachings of Christianity. There were probably some other weird teachings that were going on. But, but Paul challenges the hearers to not be led astray by different doctrines. I, I want to kind of wrap the whole message in this one little sentence. If you have to add anything to Jesus, you subtract from Jesus. If you have to add anything to Jesus, you, you actually begin to take away from Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But look at the warning signs. Read the warning labels that the apostle says to, these, to this church in Colossae. He says, first of all, don't chase the shadows. He says, don't chase the lies of legalism. Don't chase the lies of legalism. Now, legalism is when you add to the word of God and you take personal preferences and you make them equivalent with Scripture. Okay? That's legalism. Now, we got the Ten Commandments. We got the Sermon on the Mount. We got all kinds of teachings in the Bible. We don't need to add to what has already been said. And when we have our preferences and we add to the Word of God, and then we begin to put those on other people, that's called legalism. Legalism. We're, we're gonna, we're, we're, it's not about Jesus. It's about what I can do for Jesus. It's, it's about the law. It's about, it's about the burden and the weight and the obligation of adding to what God said. Look at this in verse 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regards to food and drink in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the real deal. It's not about diet and it's not about days. And so what began to happen is they begin to bring the teachings of Judaism, uh, the, the, the Mosaic law about diet into the Christian church. You know what? Back in the day, Moses said we shouldn't eat pork and shrimp. We got to bring dietary codes back into the church. God had already spoken clearly to the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10 that they didn't have to abide by the dietary codes, uh, uh, codes in the Old Testament. And now different Jews are entering into the church saying, you know what? We need to get back to the, to, the, to the diet of Moses. I mean, we need to get back to the old days. Come on now. It's Jesus plus diet. It's Jesus plus days. He talks about the new moon festival. How many of you know this? The Jewish people celebrate days. They got festivals and holidays like you've never seen before. Some of you have Jewish backgrounds. Some of you have Jewish friends. Jewish people have celebrations all the time. And so the, the teachers begin to say, well, you know what? It's kind of like Jesus and the dietary codes and Jesus and the holidays. 
And we'll kind of put all that together, and that's the gospel. We got to, we got to abide by the Jewish calendar. We got to go by all the days. We got to observe all of it. You know, the celebration of Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Why do we not celebrate the Day of Atonement? Because Jesus was the atonement. That's why. So we we don't have to celebrate the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is every day. That's like 365, 24-7. Anyway, days and diet. And anytime we begin to add to the things that God has said, we have legalism. We have, we have a huge problem. And Paul says, you're chasing a shadow. You're not chasing the substance. You're just chasing a shadow. Now, it feels spiritual, doesn't it? You're like, you know, I, I eat a certain way and I celebrate these days. But listen, just because you celebrate Christmas doesn't make you a Christian. Is that true? How many of us have family members? How many of us have friends? You know, just because you exchange presents and put stockings up and put a Christmas tree up doesn't make you a Christian. We have some friends that celebrate Ramadan. They have a, a, a Muslim tradition in their family. They don't know squat about Islam. But when Ramadan comes around, don't you dare ask them to go eat lunch. You know what I'm saying? Because they fast all day, and then they just gorge themselves at night. I mean, I've never seen such festivities going on. I've never seen such drink flow and such food. It's amazing. Every evening. You can practice days, you can observe religious holidays, and not even understand what they're about. And that's true in Christianity. That's true in other, other faiths as well. Paul says, don't get hung up on it. Don't get off on a tangent. Don't chase a shadow. Don't forget the real thing. The real person is Jesus. It's not about diet. It's not about days. These are, these are distractions. Now, most legalism starts with good intentions. Somebody got tempted some way and, you know, they, they said they made a rule. And, and it, the, the heart of it is good. It really is. I, I think the heart of of, of what many, much of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees said started with good intentions. We don't want to sin. So because we don't want to sin, we're going to put rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of rules. That sounds good. The problem is the weight and the burden and the extremes that kind of come with that. And if we're not careful, we can live under man-made rules more than we do under the rules of God and this is a huge problem. Um, a few years ago, I was a, a pastor at a ch church in another city, and um, a leader came to me really disturbed. One of our staff members came to me, and he said, Ryan, we need to make a rule in the ministry that if somebody's a Bible study leader, they can't date people that are in the ministry. And we were working with college students. And I was like, well, tell me what's going on. And he said, well, we have so-and-so who was a law grad student, he was like 23, and he was dating a girl that was like 21 in the college ministry, and he was her Bible study leader. And I said, well, I said, you know, like, I, brother, I understand what you're saying, but I'm like, they're two Christian young people that love the Lord, and they met at church. I mean, where else do I want young people to meet? Do that, do, would I rather them meet at the club? You know? Now, it would be different if there was a 45-year-old man that said, I feel led to do one-on-one -on -one Bible study with the Tridelts. <laughs> I mean, that's different, okay? 
But these are people, they're about the same age. They're Christian people. They're, they're loving the Lord. They're doing awesome. They're active in the church. They're at the church all the time. Where else are you going to meet people? And my dear brother wanted to make a, you know, a rule. And I said, no, we're not going to make a rule. And you know what? They're married to this day. They got multitudes of kids and I see them on Instagram and it's awesome. It's a great thing. We just have to be careful to not add to what God has said. Amen. You know, we have to be careful. Um, it's true uh, in so many different capacities. When I was a younger Christian, I thought that people that didn't grow up, I was suspicious of people that didn't grow up in my denomination. You know, I, I recognized there were Christians in other denominations, but they weren't like us. And so I was a little suspicious about that. I don't know if you can relate to that. Some of you that have grown up in church, you're like, those people love Jesus too? And then I grew a little bit and I began to understand the kingdom of God is a big place, right? You don't have to just be my denomination to love Jesus. That's, that's, that's living under the weight of the law is what that is. I have really strong political opinions. But you know what? You don't have to be of one political persuasion to be a part of Edge Church. The Bible doesn't say you have to be a Republican, you have to be a Democrat, you have to hate both and be an independent. It doesn't say that. <laughs> Let's just don't add to what God has said. Amen? When we do that, we get into trouble. People have all kinds of debates. And some churches are churches that are just for people that are Republicans and others just for Democrats. I think we ought to just speak loudly about the things that are in God's word and we ought to be gracious about the things that are not. Uh, parents have a lot of different opinions about how to educate kids. I went to a, a private Christian high school. Gina graduated from a public high school. We have family members that homeschool their kids. We have friends that send their kids to a charter school. You know, um, What's the best way to educate children? You know, I'm for however you educate your kids, you know? And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God can lead you and direct you in how to best navigate that situation for your family. And it might even be different from year to year. There's not one thing. Amen? Let's be excited about the things that are black and white and be committed and let's understand there's a lot of things that are kind of gray in the middle. And you have to walk with God. You've got to walk with God to know what's right for your family. Every decision you need to make is not spelled out in the Bible. We led a lady to Christ a few years ago at, at, at another church. And she uh, became a fantastic church member. She ended up becoming our children's ministry director. And she came to me one day and she said, Pastor, I'm really upset nobody is talking about the rules around here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I grew up Catholic and it was all about the rules. And I said, well, you know, we got the Ten Commandments. We love the Ten Commandments. And she's like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like all the other rules. And she basically wanted an outline of like what shows that her kids could watch. And, and she wanted explicit detail on every single thing. And I totally appreciated the teachability of her heart. But I looked at her and I said, listen, you have to walk with God. You have to walk with God. In some ways, it's almost easier to take a boilerplate and, and, and to be religious and say, I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. That's, 
That's the easy part. Where you have to struggle in your faith is when you have to agonize and you have to pray and you have to study and you have to think and, and you have to really, you know, ask God and you have to talk to other Christian people. And, and you got to get, get to that point in your own heart and your own spirit. What's the right decision for you and for your family? That's when you have to press in and walk with the Lord. See, being a Christian is not a formula. It's not just like a boilerplate. I'm going to download this and tell my kids this on this day. And it doesn't work that, like that. You got to walk with God. You got to walk with God. And when you're bound up by legalism, you're not walking with God because you're so busy worried about the man-made rules that somebody told you about. Um, my kids are, are younger kids. They don't have a cell phone. I think all their kids, all their friends do. <laughs> They're the only kids. They're like, Dad, can we have a cell phone? We, Gene and I have decided we're just not doing cell phones at this point. We may at some point in the future. We're not doing cell phones. You know what? If you give your kid a cell phone, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a decision you have to make. I've got my focus, what I'm going to do. You do what you need to do, and let's walk with God. Let's don't live under the weight of trying to legislate rules that God has not said, that God's not put before us. And see, th this is a distraction. And many people that love the Lord can get diverted into the trap of legalism. And what does it do? It takes our eyes off Jesus and it puffs us up. Oh, I'm, I'm a better person. I, I go by all these rules that I made up myself, by the way, but that makes me feel spiritual. And I don't act like those people. I mean, look at me. Legalism puts people down and it puffs people up. That's the end result of it. Let's don't do it. We got to walk with Jesus. We got to walk with Jesus. Now, I hope you have convictions and I hope you have strong convictions about how you live your life and the things that, that you value and treasure. But be careful to not put those on other people and to expect them to do exactly what you do. That's where we get in trouble. We should be strong in our convictions and in our beliefs and preferences, but we should be gracious in the way that we communicate those and the way that we understand those when it comes to other folks. There's a second thing, though. It's not just the legalism, but also there's a problem with mysticism. Now, check this out. The, the, the early church... <laughs> People were getting a little cray-cray. Look at this in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices, the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated with cause by his fleshly mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, uh, nourished and held together by its ligaments and, and tendons, develop with growth from God. He says, listen, when mysticism becomes the focus, you lose connection to the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is the head. So when I'm bound up in mysticism, I, I'm not connected to the head, verse 19. Now, what is mysticism? Mysticism is the belief that I get close to God by having spiritual experiences. Mysticism. And mysticism can be a focus of many people. There's many people think that if I don't have a certain experience, that I haven't felt God's love and I don't feel close to God. You know, I've talked to many people that have come and attended our church or 
go to other churches or whatever, they feel like if people are not falling over in the aisles or, you know, jumping over the chairs or something like that, that somehow God has not been here. Amen? I mean, even if 10 people gave their lives to Christ, the Spirit wasn't there. Because it's all about experience. Listen, if we have to add anything to Jesus, we have diminished Jesus. It's not Jesus plus experience. And what Paul is saying is we seek Jesus and when we seek Jesus, sometimes we have experiences. Amen. I'm as much for religious experience as anybody. We stood in this room in about 2008 and a pastor looked at me. Our church had not even started. We didn't even have a we didn't even have a small group. Gina and I had been in, in Aurora two weeks. Pastor, this place was on the market. Pastor brought me in here. He, we stood right there. He said, Ryan, this is your church building. I was like, dang, you know. And, he, and then he said, how much money can you raise? And I was like, well, right now it's Gina and I, not very much, you know. A few years later, guess where we met for church? In 2013, Right here. And what that pastor said to me several years before came to fruition. It was amazing. I, I almost didn't believe it. It's crazy. So when we walk with God, do we have experiences? Do we? Of course we do. We have spiritual experience. But the, the difference is we don't seek the experiences. We seek Jesus. And when we seek Jesus, experiences come. But being a Christian is not just about having experiences. Amen. I was talking with Gina about this the other day, and she was talking about how in her youth group back in the day, it was a long time ago, they were trying to teach the youth group to speak in tongues. And Gina got so frustrated because everybody could speak in tongues but her. And she was like, man, we got like varsity youth group and we got junior varsity youth group. I just joined the JV. And she did everything she could to speak in tongues and it just wouldn't come out, you know? Like, what's wrong with me? You know? And they were teaching the kids how to catch people when they fall over and all that. Guess what? The attention went away from Jesus all the way to these experiences. And I'm not saying the people didn't have great intentions. And if you have the gift of tongues, that's awesome. Would you pray for me tonight in tongues? I would really appreciate that. <laughs> but we seek Jesus, and when we have experiences afterwards, that's, that's great. That's great, but it's all in the context of Jesus. We don't have spiritual experiences outside of Jesus. That's where we get into trouble. Some folks think that, that any spiritual experience is a good one. But there's a devil and there's the Lord. So not everything of the spiritual nature is good. We see the New Age movement promising spiritual experience. Deepak Chopra and um, Oprah and The Secret and all this kind of stuff. Experience, experience, experience. People are craving experiences. People love experiences. But what we really need in our core is an encounter with Jesus. That's what we need. And when we begin to add to that, we begin to diminish who Jesus really is. Paul says, don't get, bound, don't, don't get confused. Don't become so mystical. You know, I talk to people sometimes and they're like, 
God told me to eat Pop-Tarts for breakfast. God told me I couldn't decide what size drink to get at Starbucks when I was ordering a latte. I couldn't decide between a grande and a vente. And an angel tapped me on the shoulder and said, go big. I mean, come on. You know, in the Old Testament, when people said that God told them something and that wasn't the real deal, you know what they did to them? They stoned them. <laughs> we ought to be a little more sober about ascribing to God things that are our own opinions. You know what I'm saying? I've been a Christian a long time. I've never had a visit from an angel. I love the Lord. I read the Bible every day. I pray all the time. I've never had an angel talk to me. I've never heard an audible voice from heaven like the Apostle Paul did. Could that happen? I believe that it could. I've just, I'm just saying, I'm, you know, God speaks to me mostly by his word, by his spirit, and many times by circumstances. So let's don't make this rocket science. You know? When people talk about, well, God said this and God said that and all that. Well, you know what? I'm like, well, is that in the Bible? You know, because if not, I don't. Is that just a bunch of your opinions? I mean, maybe that's true. I don't know. But but did God really say all that? Because I want to just be a little careful about us putting God, the God tag on everything that I want to do. I've had people tell me that God wanted them to do something. God told them to do something that was a clear violation of the Bible. It doesn't work that way. If you ever have an angel show up in your living room and tell you to do something, you know, that's contrary to God's word. You better cast that thing out of there. <laughs> Boom. Don't come back. So let's have spiritual experience, man. I hope that you feel close to God. I hope you have. But I hope you seek Jesus. You seek Jesus, and then when those experiences come, that's awesome. There's no varsity and junior varsity when it comes to the kingdom of God. God, God. If you're in Christ, man, God loves you all the same. Do you know that? We have kind of a tier. It's like, you know, um, teach a Bible study, been on a mission trip, um, learned biblical languages, shared your faith with somebody, felt the leadership of the Holy Spirit, prayed for someone who was sick and they got well, read the whole Bible. Those are all awesome things. And sometimes we like begin to seek after the experiences rather than seeking Jesus. I hope you do all those things, but I hope you do it seeking the Lord, not just so you can feel spiritual and, you know, get to the next level and put a notch in your belt or whatever it may be. He says, don't do it, man. Don't, don't, don't just be about the experiences. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 16. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. There was a whole group of people that followed Jesus because they only wanted to see the miracles. They didn't want to believe in the God of the miracles. They just wanted to be entertained. They wanted to have experience. Let's don't do it. Mysticism puffs us up. Colossians 2.18 says, they are puffed up with idle notions of their unspiritual mind. But there's a third area he warns about, and I think this is the most bizarre, but I want to mention it as well. He says, don't chase the abyss of asceticism. Mysticism, legalism, asceticism. Now, what is asceticism? 
It's the belief that I oppress my body to build my spirit. If I can punish myself enough, I can get close to God. And in the ancient world, there was a group called the Gnostics that believed that everything of the material world was bad and everything that was spiritual was good. This began to slip into the church and there were some who thought, you know what, I'm going to really impress God. I'm going to get close to God by punishing myself. The more miserable I can become, the more spiritual that I can be. I can really get close to God if I just totally like withdraw from the world and live in a monastic lifestyle. Look, look at this in verse 20. For you were included in the death of Christ and have died with him to the religious systems and powers of this world. Don't retreat back to being bullied by the standards and opinions of religion. For example, their strict requirements. You can't associate with that person or don't eat that or you can't touch that. These are the doctrines of men and corrupt customs that are worthless to help you spiritually. Verse 23, for though they may appear to possess the promise of wisdom in their submission to God through the deprivation of their physical bodies, it is actually nothing more than empty rules rooted in religious rituals. In other words, you don't get closer to God by making yourself more miserable. He says these ascetic practices. Now, what's the Christian response to asceticism? Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. But he's not talking about asceticism here. Um, the Bible never suggests that a Christian should purposely seek out to make themselves uh, experience pain and discomfort. Okay. On the contrary, God has richly blessed us with everything for our enjoyment. First Timothy chapter six, verse 17 says, and then in first Timothy chapter four, verse three, the Bible warns of those who forbid people to marry and in order to abstain from certain foods. In other words, enjoy your life is what Paul's saying to Timothy, you know, enjoy your life. Don't become a weirdo. Um, and Sometimes we say, well, my faith will grow if I punish myself. Well, no, no, actually, that's, that's actually not true. This is, this is an overreaction to overindulgence. And in my own experience, when I find people that struggle a little bit with this, a lot of times it's because they feel the heavy weight of guilt and condemnation over past choices. So if I can punish myself, God will love me. I can almost redeem myself. It's kind of the thing. We, we had a, a, a young lady in our church a number of years ago that had partied a lot. She'd been, gotten into a lot of trouble as a teenager. And then she found the Lord when she got into college. And I mean, she was like, I mean, radically transformed. It was an awesome thing. And as she started, you know, kind of growing in the Lord, she started kind of withdrawing from like friends. And, you know, she was a really cute girl. And all the guys at church, would totally like to take her on a date and probably marry her. You know, she went from this party girl to wearing like long dresses that dragged on the floor, hanging out with women that were like old enough to be her grandmother, reading her Bible like all the time. I'm all for Bible reading. I'm all for coming to church. But it was like, it was like totally next level, you know. 
and didn't want to didn't want to come to even any parties at the church. You know, I mean, it was just and it was sad. And, and I think that she slipped into what Paul warns about here, that um, we punish ourselves sometimes to make our faith grow. And we have to be so careful about that. Listen, if you have sinned greatly, guess what? The mercy and the grace of God is abundant. You don't need to punish yourself. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And so you wouldn't have to punish yourself. (laughs) He died and rose again on the third day so that you could be made new. So you wouldn't have to live a life of asceticism. Asceticism says the less I own, the more spiritual that I am. The less I enjoy, the more miserable I am, the more spiritual I become. Um, There's poverty and prosperity theology. Both have problems. Poverty theology says I get close to God when I have less. Prosperity theology says I get close to God when I have more. Both are a problem. Both are a problem. You can be close to God and have nothing. You can be close to God and have tons of things. It's not related to your financial status. Does it make you closer to God? Does it make you more spiritual? I've known really spiritual poor people. I've known really pagan poor people. And the same is true with those who had much. It's not about that. Let's don't fall into that. Let's don't fall into that. Um, And you know what? It's not wrong to have nice things. Some of you have nice things. You know what? You shouldn't feel guilty about that. Have you ever been around Christians? Christians do this all the time. Man, that's a nice car that you got there. Yeah, man, I got it like 50% off. Do you ever feel like the pressure, like, I can't tell, that's a nice shirt. Oh, man, I got that on the clearance rack at Ross Dress for Less, you know. They had to go into the back because it was only $350, you know, that kind of. What about if we just said, like, somebody said, man, that's a really nice car you got. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. What if you said, you know what? I worked really hard for that car. I really appreciate that. I paid full price, by the way. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with that? You know, there's kind of like this, this kind of unwritten rule as a Christian, like I shouldn't like nice things. If you work hard and God blesses you, I'm not talking about me being materialistic. Do y'all hear my heart on this? I'm just saying, let's don't slip into this idea that's been around for a long time that it's like sinful and bad to have a nice watch or to drive a nice car or to have something that that you've worked really hard for and that you're really proud of. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Another form of asceticism. I see this. The longer people are Christians, the fewer Christian, the fewer non-Christian friends that they have. I don't think Christians do this on purpose, but when we really start walking with God and growing spiritually and we get involved in the church and, you know, like we're really, our faith's taking off, the tendency is to withdraw from those friendships and relationships with people that don't know Christ. Our life is going this direction. Their life's going that direction. Maybe it's just kind of a natural phenomenon But I meet so many people who don't know the Lord, they don't even know one Christian friend. If they ever had a question about the Bible, they wouldn't even know who to call. And I think we have to be careful to not slip into our own holy huddles 
with people who think just like us and talk just like us and push everybody else away because they have, because they have different values and different ideologies. Do you understand what I'm saying today? Yeah. Let's not live in a cocoon. Jesus said we're in the world. We're just not of the world. So we have strong conviction. We have strong faith. We have strong belief in Jesus. But that doesn't lead us to withdraw from the world. It leads us to engage with the world. And that will take your faith to a new level. I'll take it up a notch. So legalism leads us to judging others. Mysticism leads others to feel spiritually inferior, puffs us up. Asceticism leaves us feeling empty, Paul says in verses 20 to 23. we got to avoid the lies of legalism, the mirage of mysticism, the abyss of asceticism. What we need is Jesus. Let's don't get distracted by all this other stuff going on. Whatever phenomenons are going whatever pop spirituality, pop Christian culture, pop whatever, we aren't worried about that. We are focused on Jesus. We're focused on him. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer?